Well, good morning again. Thanks so much for gathering here this morning. Thank you for bringing the church uh, into this sanctuary space. It's good to be able to gather with you. Those of you that are gathering with us at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room, around your dining room table, um, and has been made mention of already. But again, a special welcome to Crosspoint Jupiter as a church uh, we got the privilege of partnering with to be planted down in South Florida. Brian and Karina Sullivan were sent from this congregation down there, and so just excited to be able to, via technology, uh, join together on this Sunday and next Sunday as they make the transition into a, a new space in the, in the coming weeks. So excited for them about that. And so this is a practical way that we get to kind of operate uh, together. Um, and as well, happy 4th of July. Grateful that on this day we get the opportunity. We have the freedom to be able to gather to worship King Jesus, um, to experience the ultimate freedom that we have in the gospel. And so to help us even in that this morning, we are continuing our series called Come and See. And it's this invitation that the Lord Jesus gives to us to understand who he is. And so we've been journeying through the great book of John. And that theme comes up over and over and over again about just come and experience. Bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring the things that are uh, you're excited about, the things you're rejoicing in, but also bring the things that are troubling and things that may have kept you up last night or things that are just weighing heavy on your mind and on your heart. And we get to see this morning. I've just been excited I probably say this every week, we're excited to get into the, the text. John chapter 10 is this declaration that Jesus makes that he's the good shepherd. And I, I don't know about you, I don't know all the particulars of your life, but I know enough about the brokenness of humanity and the world that we live in. It's not just a problem out there, like it's in my heart. Like I need the good shepherd. Like I need to know that Jesus is good and kind and gracious and beautiful. And this text is gonna help us just orient to that truth. All week long, you've been bombarded, I've been bombarded with different messages that would take our sight off of Jesus. And this is this opportunity right now through the songs that we've sung, through the passing of the, the peace, to opening up God's word, it's meant to reorient us to Jesus. That's why it's so important that we are doing what we're doing together th this morning. All right, and so I wanna go ahead and, and read John chapter 10, verses one to 21 as the text will be in. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there. And as always, you can go to cplife.church on your phone or tablet, however you want to access that, and you'll see a card there. The second card says message notes, and so the text will be there this morning. Any of the quotes, things on the slides, uh, that information is there. There's space for you to be able to take notes, but let me go ahead and read this, and then we'll make our way back through this just wonderful text, explain some of the, the context of how this follows on the heels of what we looked at last week when Pastor Eric preached, but let me read this, and we'll, we'll dive in. Starts out by saying truly. Now, when Jesus says truly, it's this way of us, him sort of grabbing us by the shoulders and saying, hey, pay attention, dial in. I don't want you to miss this. So it's of utmost importance for Jesus to us. He says, truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7, Jesus said again, truly I tell you. So there, he's trying to get our attention again. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. 
And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them. And he runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And then there will be one flock and one shepherd. And this is why the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. And I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he is a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? And others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word for us this morning. And one of the things, I'll put my seminary uh, education to use here. John chapter 10 follows John chapter 9. Be amazed, okay? Um, Now, that is an important thing to know because Jesus doesn't just randomly start talking about good shepherd. He didn't just wake up one day and think, oh, what kind of imagery can I use? What might be helpful? I mean, he does think about what would be helpful, but it's not random. Literally what we had in John chapter 9, if you were here last week, if you were to flip back in your Bible, you'd see it's Jesus' healing of the blind man. And yes, that's amazing and that's marvelous and all of that, But it's all done. Jesus isn't just this wonder worker just so he could draw a crowd. He's trying to showcase, hey, it's only God that can open up the eyes of the blind. We read that in Psalm 146, verse 8. That's the reality. Nobody else can do that. And so if Jesus shows up, heals the blind man, what does that say about him? That he's the Messiah. That he's God in the flesh. That God himself is here, that he is to be worshipped and revered. Like, it's this claim about who he actually is. Now, the question then in John 9 is not, did he do the miracle or not, but will we follow him? Will the people there, will they follow? Will they submit? And so when Jesus then, in this recording of it, and John is writing this down, talks about being the good shepherd, all right, the shepherd language for the Jewish people wasn't just that maybe picture that you and I might have in, in mind of this man out in a field and leading the sheep, though that's important, but it was also used to signify kingship, that shepherd and king were synonymous throughout the scriptures. And so what Jesus is doing when he steps into this moment is he's saying, listen, you've had other rulers, you've had other kings, you've had all sorts of people that you've been following, but the good shepherd, the good king, the beautiful king is right here among you. And you either need to submit to me or you're against me. Like there's no middle ground. And so if you got questions about Christianity, you're wrestling, I think this is a great text, just what are the claims? Why should you and I find Jesus to be good and beautiful? What's so compelling about him? And so as he starts this, all right, it is kind of framed initially, there's there's a parable of sorts. The first six verses, Jesus introduces us to kind of three people or three groups. The sheep, the thieves and robbers, and then the good shepherd. And what he's trying to highlight here is that there actually is a great danger. And we'll look at that more in just a moment. And there's a few verses as we move past verses 1 to 6 that we'll see this theme come up over and over again. Jesus is highlighting, hey, you don't inhabit neutral territory. There actually are enemies of God that are seeking to rob you of what he speaks of in verse 10, of this abundant life. But before we get there, all right, 
we gotta ask ourselves a question. So I'll put this before you. What comes to mind when you think about sheep? Because I told you this initial six verses, you got the sheep, you got the thieves and robbers, and you got the good shepherd. So what comes to mind when you think of sheep, right? And so maybe you're picturing some sort of image like this. It's like, oh, isn't that, that cute or whatever? Okay, here's what comes to mind for whatever reason when I think about sheep. Years ago, the church that I grew up in, the church that I worked in youth ministry for for a number of years, just up the road here on Maitland Boulevard, just not too far, picture this 436 road. It's not quite as busy as that, but it's quite busy. That church, every year, would do an elaborate living nativity, all right? And so you'd have this kind of production. You have multiple, uh, multiple productions, multiple nights throughout the week, all right? People could come. you gather out in this big soccer field that was used during this time. There's a whole set, and then... There were actually, I'm not kidding, like there were live animals. Like they literally would find a farm somewhere and they'd bring in like donkey and sheep and cattle. Like all this sort of stuff was there. So it's just this amazing thing. You can imagine like young and old alike, just like, wow, cool. I get to see real live animals, all right? And so I knew one of the pastors, though, would tell this story that late one night he got a call. And he got a call from, I believe it was the Maitland Police Department. And they said, sir, uh, somehow we got your number, but I need you to know this. Your sheep have left the pen, all right? Somebody must have left the gate open. The sheep had traversed one lane of traffic on Maitland Boulevard, had made it out to the median where there's some grass, and they were grazing out on Maitland Boulevard. And so the good pastor did what any good pastor would do. He grabbed the seminary intern, went with him, all right? And they are out there in the middle of the night trying to tackle the sheep to get them back into the sheep pen. And so when I think of sheep, for whatever reason, that's just the first story that comes to mind. I always picture this pastor that I knew just out there trying to wrestle these particular sheep. Because what we see even in that silly example is this. They just wander and they get lost. And here's some ways to describe them. They're helpless. They're stupid. Can we say that in church? I guess we can. They're stupid, right? They're slow. They're confused. They're directionless. They're prone to panic. Like that's that picture, just wandering out. Oh, cars, what are cars, right? We're just going to go out. We're going to do our thing. We're going to go our own way. Not a care in the world. And then have to be like wrestled to the ground to be brought to safety. And what Jesus is doing here in the first six verses, sheep, thieves, and robbers, and the good shepherd, here's what he's saying. Welcome to church. This is you. You're not the good shepherd. You're the sheep. And so am I, right? He's telling us we're helpless. We're stupid. We're slow. We're confused. We're directionless. We're prone to panic. I mean, we could go on. But we get lost on our own. We try and do things in our own strength, and we wander out, and we put ourselves in grave danger. And Jesus is setting the scene here, and he's like, I'm not communicating this to heap shame upon you. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to mock you and call you names. I'm not a bully. But rather, I need you to see the danger you're in, your need for a good shepherd to lead you because you're helpless. And that good shepherd is here. And he also needs to set the context that there were people that God had appointed down through the years, down through the decades, down through the centuries that were supposed to, they weren't called to be perfect, but they were supposed to care for, to tend to God's people. They were supposed to minister to them and to care for them. But he's like, that's not the world they find themselves in. This is why he would write, I'll just put a few of these verses up. Verse one, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. So we're introduced to the thieves and the robbers. Verse eight, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. They don't 
follow the evil. Although we do at times, but he's like saying like, hey, they know that something's off. Like these, these folks that are meant to leave, like there's some disconnect there. Or in verse 10, the first part of it, a thief comes. Here's the objective of the thief, to steal and to kill and to destroy. And yet, they don't show up announcing, hey, I'm here to steal and to kill and to destroy and to devastate you and to ruin you. What Jesus is saying, and he's calling the people to pay attention to, is, hey, here's what you should be on the lookout for. And this is what gets, gets him in so much trouble. This is why we're going to see again and again the religious leaders of the day, those that were called to shepherd God's people, want to actually put Jesus to death. This is ultimately what drives them to do this. So what are we on the lookout for? Who are we on the lookout for? False leaders and false messages. So Jesus in this way, in this sort of subversive way, in this way where he's looking out over the crowd, he's just healed the blind man, people are asking questions about who he is, his identity, is this the Messiah, is this the one of authority, is this the king of kings? There were people that were missing it, and they were leading the people astray. They were false shepherds, they were false leaders. The prophet Ezekiel spoke of this. Look at these words, these poignant words, these words that, that speak of how broken it is. When people begin to follow anything other than the way of Jesus. Ezekiel 34, 1 to 6, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat. Wear the wool and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays or sought the lost. Can we stop there for a moment? It's not bad that the shepherds want to eat, but do you realize what Ezekiel is telling them? You are eating your flock. You are devouring them. You are taking their wool, making a coat out of it, and you are taking the fattened calf, and you are eating it for it yourself. You're supposed to care for these people, and they were viewing these people just to help prop them up, give them a platform, make it all about them. They're filled with ego and pride, and Jesus is calling them out. Now, it's no wonder these were fighting words, right? So this would have been in the background. He would have been calling them out on this. And yet, and we'll get to this as the text goes on, he says, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bandaged the injured, brought back the strays or sought the lost, but who has? This is what we need, that we are the ones that are weak. We need healing. We need to be bandaged up. We have been injured. We are strays. We are lost. And Jesus bursts on the scene. He didn't stay in the heavenly realm, just indifferent to your pain. He looked down and he saw a group of people, you and me and people down through the ages that were helpless, that were lost. This is Luke 15. Go and read that marvelous chapter about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost sons. All of this, God's pursuit of us that he would send his son. All of this is pointing ahead. Like this whole thing, friends, is telling one story. And it's not about you and me. It's about Jesus. He's the perfect shepherd. He continues, Ezekiel does, instead you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Even the high hills are a way of, it's in a shorthand for saying the places of worship They've been led astray. They've been trying to find their identity in something else. They've been worshiping false gods. 
And we might look at that and think, well, that doesn't apply to us. I didn't bow down to any false gods this week. But if we would examine our hearts and if we would pay attention to the words that we take in and the narratives that are out there, I think we would see time and time again, we make sacrifices for that which will not bring life. Mistaking good things for ultimate things that ultimately end up crushing us. And so Jesus is warning them, watch out for the false leaders. He's calling out the people that were there and this is what the Apostle Paul would do. Just let me read a couple more things to you. In Acts chapter 20, he's planted this church. He's helped plant this church in Ephesus, and he's raised up leaders, elders, pastors, overseers. It's all sort of synonymous language. And he's gathered them. He's getting ready to depart. Look at what he says. He's trying to make sure we know that there is a battle. There is a spiritual battle. There is a very real enemy. It's not to be fearful of him, but you also should be aware that wants to rob you and me of joy. I've had a joy problem in the last year. I think that's fair to say. Like, it's hard sometimes to have joy amidst all the things that are going on. Like, there's an enemy that rejoices when we don't actually have joy. He's trying to devour us in that way. And so, Acts 20, Paul speaks to this in verse 28 to 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock. He's addressing these leaders of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, listen to this, from even your own number. It's not out there. It's like within the church is oftentimes where the problem is. And distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. It's this impassioned plea. I mean, Paul's like, I care so deeply for you. He's quick to remind them, listen, guys, God used me in this time, in this place, but lest you get it goofed up, I didn't die for your sins. Jesus did. He's the good shepherd. He's ultimate. But there's going to be this temptation to drift away from the message. This is why Paul would write to his, his protege, his apprentice, this young man he's trying to raise up in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He tells him, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear, these itching ears to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now I'm thankful for the time and the place that we live in. I'm thankful that I can pull up my phone and access literally thousands of messages in an Apple podcast or Spotify or whatever it is that we, that we get access to. There's so much content. But can we be aware? There are messages that are counter to the gospel. There are teachers that are not proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. And he's saying, I want you to be on guard. Because ultimately what's happening here is we think about us as sheep that have wandered off. Every single person who's ever walked the face of the earth, all right, is listening to a voice, is being shepherded. The question is, who are you being shepherded by? What are you following for guidance? Where are you going to for wisdom? What are you seeking as you seek to navigate this world? Are you following Jesus? Are you following his lead? So what shepherd are you following? Are you following the things just of the world that would tell you over and over again, you're awesome, you're amazing, make it about you, you get your own. You pillow yourselves up by your bootstraps. You make a name for yourself. 
That is the lie of the enemy, and it's a tired old lie that's just on repeat since Genesis 3 that says, reach for the fruit, do this, make it about you, you're the king, you're ultimate, you're sovereign, and it leads to death and devastation. It does not lead to life. So what voice are you following? What voice are you listening to? What shepherd are you following? Are you following the one that would give life? Are you following the voices? Here's what we need to see. There are competing voices that will lead us to a place we don't want to go. So as I've shared with you before, we'll go hyper-spiritual here for a moment. The Office, one of the greatest comedies ever, all right? Um, if you disagree with me, then we can talk later. But anyway, um, in The Office, there's one particular scene I've always liked. There's lots of them. There's lots of cringeworthy scenes. There's lots of things that you're just like, oh, gosh, is he doing this? But if you don't know The Office, Michael Scott, who runs this office for this paper company, he's like the you know, manager there, he, the office is struggling, so he is out with Dwight, who's one of the other salesmen. They're in a car, and they are driving. They're hoping to make some sales. And they've got one last stop to go, and as they're out driving through the countryside, it's this beautiful scene. Like, there's trees, and the sun is kind of glistening through the, through the leaves around this beautiful kind of country road, and you can see kind of off to the side that they're following this lakefront, all right? And the GPS is going. Some of you might remember this particular scene. And the GPS begins to, to go off and begins to say, Things like, you know, turn here, stop here, and so on and so forth. And eventually, the GPS says, turn right. And so Michael does what the GPS says he should do, and he just goes, makes it, starts to make a hard right. And Dwight goes, no, 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 wait. And Dwight does, like, the mom thing from the side, right, with the arm like this across. And he's like, no, 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 wait, all right? And he's like, Michael, it's the curve. It's bare right. You can't go right. And Michael is basically like, no, the GPS has spoken. The GPS is never wrong. We will listen to the voice is basically what, what's taking place. And if you know this scene, you know, the road did go right. Dwight was correct. A direct right, a hard right, it's basically a boat ramp. But Michael decides, okay, and on he goes, all right, and this is where they end up. Within a few seconds, they are driving into the lake. And it's this ridiculous scene, and Michael's trying to, you know, he's in like, a foot of water, but he's acting like he's drowning, right? It's like this, this whole thing. But eventually, the car does continue to push out, and it sinks. It has to be towed out. It's, it's a whole, whole mess. Now, that's a ridiculous scene. And yet, the reality is, in ways that I'm not even fully aware of, there is a voice, there are competing voices that are telling me, do this, turn here, this will bring life, this is the direction, this is the way to go. And we uncritically just sort of adopt that and think this will bring life, never asking, is this what the good shepherd wants for me? Is this where the good shepherd is, is leading me? What if I haven't rightly discerned? What if we're not seeking other people out? If Michael had only listened to the community that was there present with him in the car, not because Dwight was infallible, but he actually rightly understood. No, no, that's not what it's saying, right? But we get independent, we get isolated, we'll do this on our own, we'll make a name for ourselves, we know best. And Jesus is saying, you're going to drown, you're going to die, you're going to bury your car in the lake, everything is going to go horribly wrong. What voice are you listening to? Tim Keller in Counterfeit God says it this way, because it's not just the obvious things out there, but, well, that's clearly wrong. It's the religious stuff that we get caught up in that can be good things. You may regularly go to a place of worship. You may have a full, devout set of doctrinal beliefs. You may be trying very hard to believe and obey God. However, what is your real, daily, functional salvation? What are you really living for? What is your real not your professed God. 
All week, you heard competing messages of what the good life is. I heard competing messages of what the good life is. And those things that are good things that we think if we don't have that, life isn't worth living. Like that, if I don't have that, we're just devastated. We're just, now, to lose certain things, it, there's heartbreak and real pain, all of that. But, but there are good things that we elevate to ultimate things. And Jesus is like, hey, your career cannot die for your sins. That relationship cannot bring you the wholeness that you desire. Your kids behaving in a certain way, getting into a certain school, going on that, that trip, being approved by others, having a certain amount of influence, like all of these things are competing. It's the GPS voice, and we're, we're dialed in. We're like, I gotta go this way. And it's like, no, that is not the thing to be listening to. Are you listening to the voice of God? Are you listening to Jesus? And so it's in this space. We had to spend some time there so we would rightly understand we are helpless sheep in need of a shepherd. There is great danger around us. We don't live in just sort of this neutral territory. There is a real battle that's taking place. And it's here that Jesus steps in. And Jesus makes the declaration, I am the good shepherd. And so let's spend a few minutes together now sort of seeing where this text takes us and unpack this, because here's one of the things I find so interesting. The word good can be translated and understood also as beautiful. Do you know Jesus to be beautiful? Have you been captivated? Are you mesmerized by his glory and his holiness and his beauty, his goodness, his grace? He's like, I'm the beautiful shepherd. I'm the one worth following. I'm the one that will actually lead you to life. So this text is gonna help us answer this question for a few minutes. What makes Jesus the beautiful shepherd? But I've got a few things in here I think that are worth just pausing for a moment to consider. And so if we jump back to verse three in John chapter 10, the first thing, Jesus is beautiful because he calls us. He calls you by name. Did you hear that when I read it a few moments ago? The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep, it says, hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And this is significant on a lot of different levels. For one, it's borrowing imagery that the people that time and that place would have known. So unless you're a shepherd of sheep, and I don't know about your career, my guess is you're not super familiar with what it looks like to be a shepherd. I am not, all right? But one of the things back then that would often happen is near the end of a day as the sheep would be gathered, it wouldn't just be one shepherd that would bring his sheep into this particular kind of pen, this kind of closed-in area, but sometimes three, four, five different shepherds would bring their sheep. And as you can imagine, all right, the sheep are not just huddled together like I can't go over there and mix it up with those sheep. Like they're all over the place, right? And they don't have clear markings, not certain ones that have hats on to let you know which one they belong to, right? They all kind of look the same, and they're there in the pen. And in the morning, when the shepherd would show up to lead them out, he would literally speak, and the sheep would recognize his voice, and he would speak their name. And one by one, as he called them, they would come out. I mean, what is this communicating? It's intimacy. It's relationship. It is the good shepherd that knows you. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly, all the things. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows your temperament, your personality. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses. And he named you. And he's rejoicing over you right now through this, this good news of the gospel. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. And so just rest in that. Jesus is beautiful. Do you know him to be beautiful? Like he calls you by name. He's intimately involved in the details of your life, that he cares about you, that he has named you. 
and he's named you son and daughter of the king. If you don't know him as that, that's the invitation to come and to see and to experience him. And so the sheep would be let out. How do they know it's his voice? Well, if we go back to the beginning of John, it describes Jesus' voice. It's one of grace and truth. That's how you know it's the voice of the shepherd. He will speak the truth, even the things that are hard for us to hear. But there is abundant grace. There's grace through and through. That God loves us enough to speak the truth to us and to invite us in. It's hard to hear that we're sheep. It's hard to hear uh, helpless. Really? Do you know my resume? Do you know that? Like we can go into that mode so quickly. Except when we bring that resume and we hold it up to God and we're like, look at all I've accomplished. He's like, do you want to see my resume? Like then suddenly we get put in our place and we're like, oh yeah, I'm a sheep. I'll trust you. You're the good shepherd. Not only does he call us by name, but he leads us like out from front, from ahead. Like he's out ahead of us. He's out front. It tells us this as back part of verse three and into verse four. It says he calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. And when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. It's that voice of grace and truth. It's this image. It's not often how it is, maybe even like Western shepherding, apparently where it's driving the flock from behind. You can almost picture like this taskmaster, like go, 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 this drive. But rather in an Eastern way, the shepherd is out ahead and he's calling them. He's beckoning them. He's wooing them. He's saying, here's the place. And he's able to show them daily hey, I led you to green pastures and I'm going to do it again and will you trust me? That's the picture there, that he is out ahead. He's not driving you with obedience with some sort of whip, right? It's not like me with my puppy training and giving the dog a zap, don't judge me, that's how we had to do it, all right? Like, um, but all of this, right, is Jesus out ahead. He's the first to encounter danger. He's the one to lead the way. He's not, the sheep are not looking around like, where's our shepherd? I don't know where he is. No, he's there and he's out ahead. And he's leading. He leads us from out front. And then Jesus switches kind of imagery here. It can be a little bit confusing until we understand the context. Jesus tells us, in verse, beginning in verse 7, he says, I'm the gate. We're like, well, I thought you were the shepherd. But this comes together so beautifully here. Jesus said, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. So he's calling out the religious leaders again. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. And again, we've seen this throughout the book of John. The word life here could have used the word bios, which would mean like, you think of biology, right? Our physical makeup, your lungs taking in air, oxygen, like all of this, right? Your heart pumping blood through your body. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. It's zoe. It's this life. It's like the good life, abundant life. Like, oh, what a life. It's that sort of thing. And so when Jesus says this, it's really fascinating. He says, for one, I'm the gate, which means it's a very specific, particular claim. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. So he's saying there's one gate, there's one opening, there's one path, there's one way to this abundant life. There's not multiple ways. He says all those that have got in before, they climbed over the wall, they're thieves and robbers, they're trying to destroy your life. 
But there is one particular way, and it's a way that's open to anyone. It's the beauty of the good news. So it's particular, but it's also protective. So here's where shepherd and gate all come together. Because an image would have looked something like this. This would have been something, these kind of ancient ruins, you would have seen like this is an old ancient sheep pen, right? Now, if you notice, there's an opening and the sheep would be led in and out. And there's, there's no wooden door, there's no hinges, there's nothing like that. There's no app from the phone where they unlock that and it opens. Like there's none of that, right? No ring doorbell there. I don't know how they would have survived. But anyway, they don't have any of that stuff. But in this image, what would happen is at night, the shepherd, and everybody back then would have known this. So when Jesus says, I'm the gate, they're not like, Dude, why does this guy keep switching subjects? What's he doing? No, no, it fits perfectly. The shepherd became the gate because the shepherd would lay down in that opening at night. That's what would take place. So the sheep would be protected, that if any animal or threat rolled up, they encounter the shepherd first. That's the picture of your God. That's the picture of your good shepherd. He's beautiful. He's laying down there. He's protecting you. And then he gets up in the morning and there's this provision. He leads the sheep out. This is one of the most familiar passages in all the the scriptures, but I'll read a portion of it. The good shepherd, it's a Psalm of David and David was a shepherd, but he only points to the ultimate shepherd. The truly beautiful shepherd is the Lord Jesus. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You want to know what the abundant life is? It's not a life full of no issues and no problems and everything. Just become a Christian. Everything's going to be amazing. If somebody sold that to you, they lied to you, you should go confront them later today, right? Like, that's not the call. The promise here is the presence of God. The Lord is with you. He is leading you. He is guiding you. He is beside me in the quiet waters. He renews my life. Friends, it's not up to you to renew your life. I don't care how much you research, how many Google searches you do, all the courses you take, all the things, all the podcasts you listen to, all the information. We don't have an information problem, right? We have a submission problem to the king of kings, to the good shepherd, and say, I trust you. Will you renew my life? I need the indwelling power of the spirit to bring renewal because I've tried it on my own. I bought into the lie that I can do this. It's the good shepherd. It's particular. The gate's particular, but it's protective. It provides for us. He leads us out. And then, as he continues, verses 11 to 13, it shows us that this beautiful shepherd, he leads out with service. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We'll come back to that more in a moment. But he says, the hired hand, and here's the contrast, since he is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep, leaves them, runs away when he sees a, sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. He's saying there are going to be those people that for a time it looked like they were helping you and serving you and all of that. But they're hired hands. And they may even have good intentions. I mean, a wolf showed up. Like, that's a kind of a big deal, right? Like, I don't... I could be empathetic to that. Like, I, yeah, I might split too, right? 
But the call here is not to put our trust in the hired hand. The call is not to put our trust ultimately in another human being. The call is to put your trust in the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd who actually serves you, who actually provides, who doesn't view things, right? Like he, he views it like, no, these are my people, my precious prized possession. He doesn't view it like I do when I rent a car and a kid spills something. I'm like, ah, it's a rental, like it doesn't matter. Like that's not how he views you. Like you're his prized possession and he's gonna protect you. He's going to care for you. His disposition is service. I've been staying up way too late lately because it is the NBA playoffs, all right? And so God is good and kind and he gives us that, all right? And so anyway, I've been watching the NBA playoffs and the other night I watched the clinching game. The Phoenix Suns are going to the NBA finals and Monty Williams, if you know anything, about, you should just go read about it. This dude's incredible. He's the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. And after the game, he's brought on and here, here's the scene. He's brought on, Scott Van Pelt is interviewing him, and you see Monty Williams there. And they're talking basketball and all of that. But then Monty Williams is asked, all right? And literally, I'm sitting on my couch like by myself, and Heather walked out, right? And I'm like, I'm kind of like tearing up. She's like, you okay? I'm like, oh, it's just so beautiful, right? Um, there's this, this, this interview, and he's, um, uh, he's asked by Scott Van Pelt. He's like, hey, man, like, What's it like, I mean, just to lead guys this far? I mean, like, you gotta get after them. These are multimillionaires. They're NBA stars. They're all-stars. They're Hall of Fame guys. Like, how do, they, how do they listen to you? What are they gonna, like, how does that work? Like, how have you been leading? And he said, he kind of paused, and he took a deep breath, and he's like, it was so beautiful. He, he stood there in, you know, this national television with a few people that were still awake at that time, right, to watch this, and he says, I've always said, it's like I told the organization when they hired me, he's like, the essence of my coaching is service because I'm a follower of Christ. And he began to connect the dots of like, you could just see it like what Christ had done for him, the way that Christ had served him. If you know this man's story, like his wife got hit by a head-on car by a lady that was high on meth and ran into him and his her and his daughter and the wife ended up dying. And here he is trusting God in his disposition, like service. Now that, to me, that night was powerful. But this, the good shepherd, he fights off. He doesn't leave. He engages. He goes ahead. Because ultimately what this is telling us, look at verses 11 and 15. Is he leads with the ultimate sacrifice. So he's already told us back in verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We drop down to verse 14. It says, I am the good shepherd. He's reiterating that again. I know my own. My own know me. And just as the father knows me, I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. What is Jesus communicating? I mean, this is ultimately where it was all going. This is where the entire story is heading from the beginning pages of Genesis through Revelation. The whole thing is talking about the shepherd becomes the sacrificial lamb. In this beautiful upside down, you want to know why Jesus is beautiful? Why know he's astounding? Why we should be mesmerized by him? Is because of this truth. He's the shepherd. He's perfect. He's holy. He's out front. He's leading. He's engaged, right? If you view Jesus as coming down as like no big deal, like listen, he didn't leave the heavenly realm because he was bored or needed friends or thought it'd be cool to hang out with you and me. Like that's not it. He was perfectly content, everything. But he was sent on a mission to get us back. And he did want you part of the family. He does want you as, your son, as his son and daughter, brother, sister, like all of that. 
And the way to make that happen is the shepherd had to become the sacrificial lamb. This is why Isaiah the prophet would write this hundreds of years before. We all went astray like sheep. There it is again. We're out in the median. We've crossed the traffic. We're ready to get hit. We all like sheep have gone astray. And if you're like, well, what's the, what is all in the Hebrew? All, that's what it means. It literally means all of us, right? We all have gone astray. We all have turned to our own way. We've all been living out Genesis 3. I'll reach the fruit. I'll do it. It's not just an Adam and Eve thing. It's a you thing. It's a me thing. He says, and the Lord has punished him, though, for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. This is why John, at the very beginning, John the Baptist looks out in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, what? Look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's it. He's beautiful because he's the good shepherd who becomes the sacrificial lamb, that he would die in your place and in my place. And do you and I see that? In a famous painting, The Raising of the Cross by Rembrandt, is this particular image, and we gotta ask ourselves, do you see yourself Rembrandt was so caught up in this reality that he literally, I don't know how well you can see it there, but there's, at the foot of the cross, there's a man who's kind of got this blue, weird-looking outfit and this blue hat on. That is, if you knew Rembrandt, you would recognize him. That's him. He painted himself into the painting at the raising of Jesus on the cross, this lifting of Jesus there in this upside-down way that became his exaltation. Why? Why would he paint himself in it? Because he's understood I am a lost sheep that has gone astray and that Jesus, the good shepherd, became the sacrificial lamb that all of my iniquity, all of my shame, all of my rebellion, all of me trying to do it my own way and the death and devastation that's brought, that was put on Jesus. And he died and it was punished in my place. He's painted himself in because he's gripped by that reality. Jesus will not be beautiful to you and me until we have painted ourselves into the picture and realized, oh my goodness, I put Jesus on the cross. I did this. It's not just some little petty little sins here and there's these really bad people out there. No, like I put Jesus on the cross through my sin and my rebellion. So it's not just being painted as sheep. It's like, no, like we murdered Jesus. And yet when we see that and then we realize, oh my goodness, the grace of Jesus, like the grace of God, swallows all that up because it's not the end of the story. And Jesus is saying, this is what verse 16 communicates. He tells us this. This is why Jesus is beautiful, all right? I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. For most of us here, if you don't have a Jewish background, this is incredibly good news that God would take a man named Abraham and tell him, listen, I'm gonna make you into a great nation that will bless all the nations of the world, because one day, everybody's gonna get in on this. There's one flock, and the way that that happened is because Jesus ultimately, seven to 18, has all the power. He is beautiful because he possesses all strength. This is our good shepherd. Look with me at 17 to 18 as we wrap up here. He says this, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Who's the active agent here, right? He's like, I lay it down, I take it up again. There's no part of Jesus that is this victim. Jesus is communicating, I have conquered Satan's sin and death. I'm the victor here. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. And I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again, and I've received this command from my Father. 
What glorious good news that he's not the victim. He's the victor. He has squashed Satan's sin in death. He's made a mockery. On a Friday, there was a bloody Roman cross, and the enemy thought, we won. Our narrative wins the day. And then three days later, bursting forth from the tomb is Jesus. That's why Paul would write some of the most profound verses in Colossians chapter 2, 14 to 15. He says this, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. We're painted in the picture and all of our sins, not just Rembrandt's, all of ours got nailed to the cross. And then he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he disgraced them publicly and he triumphed over them in him. Like, that's the narrative. That's the story we're part of. This is the abundant life, is trusting in the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd who conquers Satan's sin and death. He rises again, and now he's making a spectacle. The thieves and robbers and those that would join in with this enemy that says life is about what you make it, he's making a mockery of that. So you can be part of that processional or you can be part of the victory processional with King Jesus at the head and we're following him and we're like, we're in with that. And ultimately where this leads then, as it always does, there's divide, there's a decision. Again, the Jews were divided, verse 19, because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon, he's crazy, why do you listen to him? But others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There's a decision. Some, perhaps for the first time, deciding, will I trust Jesus as the beautiful shepherd? Will I relinquish control of my life, thinking that I know best and that I'll be the shepherd and I'll lead the way, and instead trust him? But that's also a daily thing. You might have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but each and every day is an opportunity. Will we trust him? Will we trust him to bring us out into green pastures? Will we trust him to lead us where we need to go? Will we trust that he is infinitely wise and that he knows so much better than we do? Will you trust the good shepherd? And what can be so interesting, I I think I'll close with this. We'll see, right? Um, It's probably from the early 90s, an old sermon by Tim Keller, and I was reading through that, and something, again, that I learned, my lack of dealing with sheep. But he talked about this image, right, where you trust the good shepherd. You kind of picture that. It's like, oh, isn't that great? Shepherd's carrying us, right? You know what led to that? So you picture the pastor trying to tackle the sheep out on Maitland Boulevard, right? That, that whole thing. Like, they don't go easily. They're dumb, and they flail around, and they actually try and bite at you. And what literally will happen, a shepherd would tell you, I actually, they need to, like, actually stun, all right, this sheep. Sometimes they hit them. they got to push them down. they got to tackle them. they got to literally throw them to the ground, bind their feet. I mean, so that image is like, oh, look, we're being carried along. Yeah, but what preceded that was oftentimes a little rough. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to submit. And are we going to actually trust? Not that Jesus isn't gentle with us. He is. But at the same time, there's this battle. Like, will we actually give up? Are we actually going to trust that even in the pain and the hardship and all these things that he's trying to get us to see, like, you can't do it on your own. We fight and we claw and we bite. And what if we just actually trusted Jesus? Ray Ortland says it this way. If Christianity were a philosophy, it wouldn't have such a personal impact. If Christianity were principles or a way of life or an ideal, we wouldn't react so strongly. You're like, oh, isn't that interesting? Mere concepts and lifestyle choices we can fit into our own prearranged reality. But Christianity is the person of Christ himself. 
and he is threatening. He is invasive because he comes to us, not as our lifestyle coach, he comes to us as our king and as our Messiah. Do you know that Jesus? That's the beautiful Jesus, the king that we get to submit to, we get to trust, we get to know that he died in our place. So church, let me pray for us, give you a moment to respond as the worship team comes back up. We're gonna sing together, and during this song, as you're ready, if you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to come to the table. We're gonna participate in communion after this song, so when you're ready, you can come up and get the elements. If you're gathered with us, watching online, you can get elements together there in your home if you're a follower of Christ, and after this song, I'll call us back, and we will partake together. So let me pray, and uh, let's continue to worship. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that you are the beautiful shepherd that you are worthy of our trust and our affection and our submission to you. And even when we, we kick and scream and we, we bite and we don't want to submit, we thank you for your pursuit of us. We think of the parable of the lost sheep. The sheep likely didn't want to be rescued, didn't think maybe even needed rescuing, but Jesus, you came as our good shepherd pursuing us. We thank you that you don't give up on us you continue to run after us and that your running after us took you all the way to a cross. We thank you that that is not the end of the story. That by your power, you tell us you laid your life down and then you raised it back up. And that same power that raised you from the dead, you tell us lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing truth. We have your presence right here, right now. That is the abundant life. And so we thank you for it. Prepare our hearts now, lead us, Spirit, in repentance, where we need to repent, where we've made the story about us. Help us to rest in the finished work of Jesus. We've got nothing to prove. May we hear his voice and his voice alone. And we get to rejoice together. We thank you for that. God, we ask that you would get your glory and that we would experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.